This is Views in Paradox. Classics. Welcome, any and all, to Views in Paradox Classics Edition. This is our VIP Film Club spinoff, where we go over a series of, uh, dare I say, seminal classics. And today's is On the Waterfront. I will be discussing this with my very consistent co-host for this series, uh, Jose Venutolo. Welcome. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me again. Of course. You uh, you haven't killed anybody yet, so we're keeping you on. Uh, And Danielle Gibson, welcome. Hey, what's up? Hello. Hi. Nice. And a uh, cameo <laughs> by uh, Danielle's puppy in the background. Jules. Can you Can you find her? Oh, I, I really no, she fine. gave it's it away. Okay. Uh, <laughs> she shows she shows where Waldo was. She was there. There's Waldo. Yeah, he's right there. Uh, he's right there. To to comfort the audience, and you know, if we if we bore you, you can just watch the dog. Yes. Uh, not that she's gonna do. <laughs> A whole lot. Or just now. She might not. That's true. She might sleep. She might not. (laughs) But On the Waterfront is what we're here to talk about today from 1954, directed by Ilya Kazan, uh, starring Marlon Brando, Carl Malden as Father Barry, uh, Lee J. Cobb as Johnny Friendly, uh, and uh, Rod Steger as Charlie Malloy. this movie what did uh what did you guys uh, think of this this was i believe danielle's pick yeah. so uh why don't you kind of start us off yeah i okay so honestly i picked this because when you asked me if i wanted to be on the show you were like oh we're picking like classic movies we've always wanted to see that you know maybe we won't get around to seeing ever um, and so I thought of this just because in a lot of my classes, they bring this up for a few scenes that we'll talk about soon. Um, and so I was just curious to see the rest of it. Um, but it was those scenes that were the most memorable for me on my first watch. Um, and there were a few moments where I actually did get a little, little, some chills. Um, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Um, I didn't, I don't mean this to be like a negative thing but i feel like i've enjoyed this one the least of all the ones we've watched mm. um that's but fair. we've watched some good ones we've watched some really good ones well that's the thing i feel like i had like a strong reaction or connection to all the other ones and this one i was just like this was a pretty good movie and that like period <laughs> um but it's it's i it's worth a watch if you're if you're looking for something to watch i think um yeah, we'll see when we get into yeah. it, but I do feel like on the surface of it, it feels uh, a little a little shallower, maybe, than some of the other. Yeah. Or just like a little bit more face value. Like it kind of presents to you what it is. Um, I do think it has some depth to it, but it seems fairly clear yeah. what the movie's trying mm-hmm. to do and trying to discuss. Um, just to backtrack uh, a, a little bit, this film for... Uh, those who might not have watched along, uh, we are going to spoil it. Uh, it is famously the movie where Marlon Brando says I could have been a contender. Uh, we'll talk about that scene a little bit later. Uh, but just to give a reference, this is super famous and you have heard lines from it. Um, it is about 
the Longshoremen's Union, uh, which is run by the mob, and uh, it is based on uh, is it's inspired by actual events. Uh, all of the characters are renamed, but they are essentially one to ones for real life people. There was a priest who uh, was speaking out against the mob run unions that were exploiting uh, the longshoremen. Uh, and this happened for a lot of years where they just sort of didn't have the ability to like over to overturn it. Um, and so we have Marlon Brando is the younger brother of one of the higher ups in the mob. And he was once a prize fighter, a boxer, and now he's just kind of a down on his luck guy uh, being taken care of by his, his mob brother. But he slowly discovers that he sort of has more stake with the actual men in the union than with the mob that runs it. Uh, so just as a, as a brief overview, and as always, we will talk about the movie in full spoilers uh, as, as though you watched it, but you might get some insight even if you haven't. Uh, and before I go any further, I'll just say, give us a, a like if you're on the page, give us a subscribe, uh, help us out, and uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of it. Jose, why don't you give us your first impressions? Hmm. Yeah, yeah, big time. Yeah, I, uh, it's also my first time watching it. I didn't know what this movie was about, like, at all. Uh, hmm. So I went in, like, fairly, really blind about it. Uh, I was really, I'm really glad that you picked this because it wasn't really on my to watch radar, but mm -hmm. uh, I'm really glad to kind of have it in my, in my, uh, what's the word? Film arsenal. Yeah. Um, yeah. In my lexicon, my personal lexicon. <laughs> so yeah, let's talk about, I guess, some of the, the similars. The Pigeons is a great place to start because they're all over this movie. Uh, he, yeah. he like what? He raises racing pigeons. Is what it seems like. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel yeah. super morbid because when when they first started talking about pigeons, I was like, oh my God, they like f make the pigeons fight. Like that was the first thing I thought of because I was like, that's super illegal. Like, but yeah, no, it's, I figured it out after a while. Sorry, that's just a Well, I guess because you can train note. pigeons to home in on places. So they're, yeah. they must all be trained to like home in on the same 
end point. Oh yeah. And then you can yeah, race them. That, there's, it makes a lot more sense that they would race than fight. <laughs> so I didn't know that that was a thing. It, it seems very strange hobby to have to be, you know, pigeon raising. Cause like right from the opening scene, he like lures a guy onto the roof about pigeons. And I was like, I thought they were talking in code. Like I thought that they were, that's same, that they had yeah. like a prearranged deal and that like, Hey, you lost a pigeon was the code word. So I was rather thrown off when the guy then got thrown off of the rooftop. Cause I was like, Oh, this yeah. is not code. I thought for sure I mean, he was like a mob guy. <laughs> You but there was the, funny you mean, business. You mean when the dummy gets thrown off the building? Yeah. When the dummy. <laughs> so this this such clear dummy that doesn't move his arms. <laughs> yeah. I like you know like like uh, like going going starting on 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 that sense. I like I'm just figuring out by you two talking that the pigeons were used for fighting. I thought it was like no, carrier racing, pigeons. Racing. I thought I thought I it was racing. like. I, Okay, so I had no idea that that was the case. Uh, also, like the character of like um, Terry, Terry's not the person that takes care of the pigeon. He does, he just does it after because he feels that that he was instrumental on the death of um, of the guy who's who's, uh, who's I the guy. I think uh, he has uh, his own Joy. pigeons, right? Yeah, but he also I'm pretty sure he might take. Yeah, I think he definitely he definitely has his own pigeons because he's got his little gang, right? Mm -hmm. And. And yeah, then that's why I'm, they go I'm, and like kill them all at the end. Yeah, that's also why they kill them. Spoiler alert, guys. Yeah. yeah. What I what I understood is that is that Joy, the guy, the guy that he's calling, and he's like, "Hey, I found one of your pigeons," and blah blah. Uh, I think that's the guy because he said Joy's coop. Yeah. So Joy was the Joy was the person that raised the pigeons, and then after Joy died, then then I think Terry, like Marlon Brando's character, just went and said like out of guilt or something, he was started to take care of the pigeon, and then he commissioned the Golden Kids, like the the his his little gang, commissioned it to just give them like help me with these, and then that's what oh. they get back at him on it. I mean that's what I understood. Mm -hmm. That's what I, he he was not connected to the pigeons at all. Uh, on, this I is why when he. When he comes, he says, like, I found one of your pigeons, not one of our pigeons or one of the pigeons. It's like one of I your thought things. He said that, I thought he was saying that, like, one of the pigeons got to, into his coop. Oh. I'm, I'm curious that is That is what he says to him. He's like that one of your oh, okay. pigeons. He's returning a pigeon because he says it got to his coop. But it's obviously not Joey's pigeon because he just Clear. lets it go. Right? Yeah. Um, I, I kind of got the feeling that he was also another pigeon guy, but it's possible that you're right uh cause it, because because i do remember the joey's coop uh tag like on the side of the building so i don't know remember yeah. if there's more than one or not uh what are you thinking daniel it, it also fits in with what he does in the movie because he just generally feels bad because because like as soon as we see joey get thrown off the roof we see him inside with a bunch of other mobsters and he's like oh i didn't think they were gonna kill him why'd they kill him and everyone's like yeah whatever like you know yeah. um and and you know he goes and i don't know if he like keeps talking to his sister because he feels guilty but i think he more so just likes her but um and it could be both it could yeah, be both calm, i think it's yeah yeah it doesn't have to be um, one so single fits. thing yeah yeah, yeah. so I, actually, I'm I think curious thematically to go back and watch it does that. fit if it's joy's because it's after this uh, incident that the mob 
puts him in with the, they give him a, a quote unquote cushy job, uh, with the long, you know, with the longshoreman where he can just sit around all day. And so at that point, right, like he goes from being a hawk, the mobsters to a pigeon, right? A worker. Uh, and there is a, there's a speech at one point about how there are hawks in the neighborhood that hunt pigeons. So mm -hmm. I think that that is like the ultimate uh, signaling of the visual metaphor of the pigeons. Uh, there's also the scene where they throw coins and it, and it looks like somebody throwing bird seed and everybody just like immediately goes down to like pick up the coins. It's like how, yeah. it's like how the mob deals with mm. them. Just like, all right, get off my back. Here's, here's some, some bird seed. Uh, yeah. Uh, crazy uh, fact about this film is that after its release, the let me get the AFL CIO, which is a uh, it's like a union organization that you register with, so that you're compliant and like in with the government. They expelled the Longshoremen's Union. Uh, from this organization after the release of this movie because it was still mob run. Um, oh, geez. So this movie yeah, actually did like uh, cause some direct, I don't know if it's political action, but some direct action in response to this that like, you know, the legit organization was like, oh, this is bad. Because it was all based on like, there was a lot of testimony. There was a priest who was very outspoken um and who kind of and there was like a whistleblower and this movie just kind of like put it out there in a big way that the the larger union hub actually responded by kicking them out <laughs> rather than uh having the mob just like hanging out there so yeah. i you know i feel like of all the movies we've seen aside from maybe metropolis this one has one of the, the larger like political impacts i would say or societal mm -hmm. impacts um like seven samurai has like this huge creative ripple you know metropolis we we kind of talked about how it got used in ways that uh fritz lang was, was not, not happy intended. about <laughs> um but uh but yeah but this one was like very much uh it was action about corruption and like a very real kind of corruption happening uh not you know not the kind we're used to today where it's like all coming from the top but just like from freewheeling mobsters man like mm. in the in the 50s this was like not even that crazy long ago yeah 70 years ago yeah. right? just like 70 years of People that might be that are alive that probably wouldn't remember that that thing as it was. I mean, this is it's just that it's 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 a less of a of a, of a philosophical film, more of a social critique film. It's more about an expose. Yeah. It's like this is happening, and then it's interesting because when you when you think about these things, um, we're used to it right now. We're used to, we're used to the fact that filmmaking is used to expose things, and then and then I feel that getting used to it the way that we're used to it is what makes it less um, effective. But when you think about like maybe 1950s, where this was not the thing that was like shown to people, then the moment that you show it to people, then it creates a, a, a bigger ripple. So it doesn't surprise me what you're saying that right after the film, uh, they felt that they needed to change it because, oh, we got discovered. Now we need to change this because before people. But right now, 
there's there's so much exposition about a lot of things that is that it kind of becomes more of a more of a sedentary thing more like okay yeah that's how things are or the fact of exposing them is not enough for for um to change those perspectives which i don't know if it's a good or bad, or a bad thing because you I mean otherwise then anybody could use this power to say things also that are not positive um mm. But I find that interesting. I find that like like the value of this movie is is precisely the fact that it's probably one of the first movies that goes and says this is happening. This is happening in this city. This is not a big thing. Like this is not like a war event or you considering death or you thinking that like no, it's just basically this is happening in New York. And and it is an injustice. Yeah, all the same. Yeah. Um, you know, I, there's actually uh, a kind of a huge parallel to metropolis that i started thinking about it in that hmm. like it takes an outsider to like kick things into gear like there's this concept of like the mediator right throughout metropolis and uh what's what's brando's name in this movie uh, terry and terry yeah and terry hmm. malloy is kind of that mediator right he comes from the mob and then mm -hmm. he goes down to the people, uh, right? And, and there's a he's priest. the one who kind of calls out the mob for like on their behalf, right? And it doesn't end with a After... handshake in the way that Metropolis ends, but. But it, it also takes him, it takes like some encouragement from, you know, a saintly figure um, from two actually, I think. Um, mostly, I forget her name, but the, the, the sister who, wants Edie, Edie, Edie. Yeah, she's like trying to find out who was responsible for her brother's death. And even she had to kind of encourage the priests to like look for actual evidence and not just like, you know, D&D, &D, like play deaf and dumb. Uh, or what is it like duck and yeah, yeah, it's yeah you know what I mean? Yeah. So that kind of is a, that's a similar role as um wow i'm forgetting the woman's name in metropolis maria maria um no you're right yeah that is similar and like yeah. that one is is pure fiction and this one is but it's like you know it's crazy how much it resonates with like a somewhat real story i mean a fictionalized version of a real story yeah but there's still she that just I, doesn't go evil yeah <laughs> she, she doesn't, doesn't yeah she doesn't get replicated right and like... right she doesn't get turned into a robot that's used for <laughs> for other purposes i mean it's, it's always positive when you don't get turned into a robot that is used for evil i um, appreciate not being turned right into a robot <laughs> mm. yeah another metaphor there but anyway <laughs> so and, 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 and terry's goals aren't like he's he's definitely got a conscience but mm. it's hard to say that he's altruistic um because he's definitely like he definitely thinks of himself first right oh um, yeah and even in his like his big rebuttal to his brother near the end uh he you know he talks about what was taken from him you know it's a very it's a very kind of like personal uh retribution that he wants you know so it's like, does he do it for the longshoreman or does he do it for himself, you know, for his lady love, maybe a little of a little of each, 
But I feel more so, I, you could argue it's more so for him because he just feels guilty. He He's doing it so that he can get his lady love. Um, but also, I mean, I think he does care about how she feels because she he like kind of tries to shut her down mostly to keep her safe. But then, and he, he keeps seeing her even though all the mobsters are like, hey, why are you hanging out with Joey's sister? Like, that's really dangerous. So I think he does actually care for her. That's, I guess, not entirely fair for me to be like, it's only for him because he doesn't want to feel things. Um, but I still, I mean, I still think he didn't want to feel regret, but um, but yeah. I think it's more an, a more even reasoning now. Yeah, and having a priest be the person who's like calling for, you know, this conscientious change you know it's very much uh this is someone who represents morality in its purest form you know it's it's being good for good for good sake yeah there was the scene where um the whistleblower guy i forget his name um terrible at names guys sorry uh but joey. he no not joey, not joey. um one. Oh, okay. um, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, the other guy, the guy that, that with yeah. the with the with the whiskey. Okay. He like he makes like an agreement with the priest, saying the priest is like, "Why don't Why don't you help me? Why don't you help me?" And the, he's just like, "Do you promise you'll go like with me to the end? Like even if I die, you're gonna keep going. You're not gonna like be silenced afterwards." And the priest is like, "Yes, of course." And then he gets crushed by falling like shipments of boxes of whiskey, yeah. and so the priest comes and he's like trying to encourage all the workers like hey we need to stop this and there are mobsters who are watching and who start to like throw things at people and interfere but then joey visibly visually like jumps in and like beats them up and is like leave leave him alone there is a moment after that where and i think this was i mean obviously it was probably done on purpose but when he, they start to raise the priest out of it oh, because i think shot. it's like it's, it's so crazy oh my god i got chills yeah. Like, I don't know, like, it was like, you know, the speech was fine. Pigeon cage, I think, visual reference. The way they've got them all on the layers of the ship. So you just have, like, these stacks of of people kind of coming out of the dark looking on. And then up at the top, you have, like, the mobsters, like, really ominously control. looking down with the white, you know, the, like, sort of overexposed silhouette going on. Um, it's definitely a, a play on who has the most power and the yeah. priest giving that speech. He was like rising up out right. of it. Like and he's completely. literally lifting them up. Right. And yeah. like with that shot where they're they're he's going up on the, the shipment with, with the body who is now a martyr. Right. Like, mm -hmm. like that guy, the one guy in the union who was brave enough to step up and got killed is now being made a martyr, right? He's got the priest right. on his side to be like, you know, this this could kill you. Look at what happened to this man. It's your <laughs> lives are at stake. You know, it's interesting because like I feel I feel that the issue that we're having with this film is that is that its meaning is very surface level. It's mm -hmm. like when when Joy when I'm sorry, when Terry talks, oh by the way, the guy the guy that you the, the guy is Keo Dugan. Because I wrote all the names because yeah. I wanted to I want it's Keo Dugan, the guy that gets killed with a whiskey. Way to like way to to make it make fun about like dying by alcohol. <laughs> well, it's the thing that he was the most excited for. It's the thing he's waiting for. This is his moment of triumph, right? A good payday whiskey. 
uh, Andy's Irish. Or, I don't know if he's Irish. Actually. <laughs> I mean, Monday, regardless of it, they 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 seen they seen that they have a lot of Irish ties, and then they like the whiskey. But the point that I was trying to make is that is that the fact that. Um, from the moment that Terry starts talking about the pigeons, you know that he's talking about people. You know that he's making an allegory, a comparison between like the, the monsters and then that imagery that you're talking about, John, where they are below and then the people are, the, the monsters are on top. It's, you know, the thing about the hawks, you know, the hawks are always on top of the buildings looking for prey, these kind of things. And then they throw things at them or they, or they want to kill them. If they want to kill them, they do it. But I feel that what this, what the triggering moment of this movie is that everything was okay as long as they didn't, they didn't take it too far and then mm. for some reason and this resonates and i'm sorry i'm gonna bring this up but this resonates with today because it's always a death and a martyr that's that sparse things up so then first mm-hmm. it was it was it was joy then it was uh kyle kyo dugan um the same way that we're well, seeing it today that, with like george that Floyd. idea that like okay we scare everybody a little bit and and they'll they'll comply but if they start pushing right. back we have to push back even harder Right. And we've got right. this guy who could sell us out to a higher authority, like the U.S. government, potentially. Right. Mm-hmm. Could, he could blow the whistle on us in a way that has the feds knocking down our door. And so it just like it escalates until it it crosses that line. And like I, I kind of got the feeling that this probably isn't the first person they've offed, but oh, yeah, no. he happened to have an ally at this point. Right. And so somebody who could uh, make sure that he didn't die in vain, right? It's like, if I'm going to be, if I'm going to get off, at least you have to martyr me. Uh, I feel like we need to, if we do another run of classics, we need to pick some films that are a little less Christianity and get some other religions there. We've had a lot of of biblical reference, uh, a lot of... I was uh, surprised. I I I mean, I guess because there was a prize priest but yeah i was like oh this is what this movie is okay but but it it made sense it's, it fit within the character so yeah you know one thing one thing that i one one thing that i, I mean if you guys want to talk about it because it's it's, it's it's the one thing that keeps like resonating with me is that there's always um like if you're writing a script you know like then there's always towards the end the what's what they call the whiff of death it's actual it's an actual death or something that feels as something dies and then it triggers a series of events and apparently it's it's part of the structure of 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 narrative it's often the low point of act two right it's like near the end of act two you hit your lowest point so that you can then have the narrative swing back up it's not necessarily the only lost moment but it does have i i've, I've heard it as the whiff of death which is mm-hmm. an actual death or, or not but but it's interesting is it's to, what what seems to me interesting is that there is always this there's always this tragic event associated with the triggering of something happening and then we're leaving it right now with what happened with george floyd like you know like it's it was the the, the spark that ignited a completely yeah. different, a, a, yeah, a completely shift. different revolution, a shift, like yeah. a shift. And then yeah. a part of me, a part of me goes back to, to things like the concept of preemptive strike with with uh, with, with Bush. And it's like there's always this necessity for some reason that you cannot cross certain lines on things until the evil has been done, right? But there is no prevention yeah. of the evil. But then when right. we do preventing evil, then because it's because we don't know if it was effective or not. We didn't know if it was coming or not. Yeah. Then, then we become very judgmental about the actions that are taking before that. I mean, and well, I'm using it's the, that I'm idea using of the pre-crime, example. right? Like you can't stop a crime 
before it happens necessarily. But once the crime right. happens, we can use that as an example to attempt to stop future instances of that, right? I yeah. also think it's a little bit, I mean, I think the George Floyd example might be not a great one in this case because police are an institution of power where they've been doing this for years and years and years. So um, is there another we, example we, we still, could use? We because we could totally done stop. With that story either. Like, yeah, know... there's there's been thousands of like black people not i mean i don't know if thousands is an exaggeration but like there's been pl a plethora yeah that have that could have been prevented so yeah. um yeah but all, all i'm saying all i'm saying is that there is the consistency that there is there is a, a line being crossed at a moment that where the line it's where people are paying attention to the line and then that propels things right. things to happen and then but then it almost makes me feel like, like why do we need to wait until the evil happens be before that, because then we become very right. critical about preemptive things. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I don't even know where exactly. Uh, like, I'm yeah. not. I'm, I'm not raising this question as as I'm going to tell you a solution. Uh, I'm just basically pondering the fact that it's always there's always the the waiting for the thing to happen to make it okay for we us. Can to only, react I think to it's it. because we can only respond to what's happened, right? And like in this case. Uh, and, and that doesn't even mean it's going to work, right? It's like, this right. guy gets martyred and all of the remaining union workers basically give up anyway, you know? Like, it takes, like, even another person coming in to, like, uh, like get to himself get martyred <laughs> before they'll... Yeah. Uh, or to defy getting martyred, right? Like, because mm -hmm. that's kind of what he does at the end is, like, he, he like attempts to defy their they're putting him down completely uh yeah you know i it's like yeah i think george floyd is a hard comparison just because the story's not done like right. something did shift right like mm -hmm. the police are an institution of power on another level uh like mm -hmm. way more than the mob like has ever been and so the idea of them getting caught red-handed and like us still watching them get away with it i think has created a shift but we're still in the midst of whatever that is like it's clearly we're not there, there the hasn't really been justice yeah. yeah there hasn't been a resolution and we don't know if that's the low point but it was i i do think it was uh valid in that it was a shift I, I, like, oh yeah oh yeah for sure like when that happened there was sort of uh, a bigger wake up to the problem than in years past. And like, sometimes it's incremental and sometimes it's an avalanche. Uh, but you never, you know, you never know. It's like, you could look at um, uh, Matthew Shepard's death in a similar light, right? And then like a good decade, little less than two decades later, we have gay marriage and like, you know, a lot of of rights equalities happening so you could right. kind of you know say that like these films do an expedited version of what kind of history tells us happens when injustice mm -hmm. is rampant and going unchecked for a long time it takes something it takes a you know it takes getting caught red-handed i feel like and to get kind of called out properly but 
Yeah, I don't know where else I was going with that. <laughs> that was the point. I, you know, I was like, in the moment. Well, even if you're called out properly, it takes like that and then people backing you to fight against it because that's what um, that's what Dugan was doing and he right. died. You know, so, but um, I thought the ending was a little convenient it's weird, convenience right? the wrong word yeah like the cuz he gets the he gets the snot bitten, bitten out of him he gets like just like kicked to near death yeah to pieces and <laughs> yeah and and then some people come up and they're like hey if you go in we'll all go we're not going to go work unless you work and then once we get in then we'll be able to overtake everything like legally and i'm like wait what like so why can't you do that without him? He's yeah. literally, he should go to the hospital. I mean, I think it was powerful, but like, I didn't really, I didn't really get that. And there was nothing really like, I felt like it was like this really big moment of like, oh my God, I might die before I like walk through the doors, which, but then he like walked in and he was fine. And it just felt like they ran out of steam and were like, okay, it, this is going to be the big moment. And it, it felt wasn't rushed, really. The setup. the setup for that ending was very rushed because it, yeah, it yeah. didn't feel properly set up ahead of time. You know, it's right. like the, this is the, the solution to all the problems, can work, but they've already said everybody gets to work. Right. Right. But then we're only right. going to work except for Terry. Right. Except for Terry. If Terry gets to work, I guess is, is that point. And it's entirely symbolic because they don't really discard the mob in the process. Right. Like, the only thing I guess that happens is that no one listens to um because the then he's telling them to not go in at the end, but it's like, why would he do that? He would lose money. Like the mob needs them to work. That's the thing, right? But then they, they said something about if they go in and work, somehow they're gonna be able to take power away from the mob. Yeah, I didn't I understand like, what that I, was. I, I was about, unclear on how that would happen. It's 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 because it's it's because the way that I understood it is because it was it was the act of defiance. It was basically saying um, Johnny uh, like Johnny Friendly represents them, and then mm -hmm. Johnny Friendly tells them something. Mm -hmm. um, then they witness that. Then for, first they're against Terry, right? Because Terry was a whistleblower, like a canary, right. a canary, like they said, right? And then after they see Terry going and then talking to like talking to Johnny friendly and being like you are this person I like that expose I like when he just tells us as it is like you pushes us you abuses yeah. us you you do all this all this stuff then he beats him up and then all the people around there like like they have it's it's the difference between saying I know the mafia did it to witnessing the mafia doing it Right. Right. So then real. these people are there and then they're seeing, OK, so this is what you do with people that disagree with you. And then now you're telling me now you want to save your own skin on my on, on my dime. Like, I'm not going to go to war because you because you're losing your business. I feel that the act of defiance is what the what what that ending was. And I feel that when they say if you cross that threshold is because they are like that's basically the, the the workers of the union saying we do not answer for this union anymore because there is mm -hmm. this guy standing at the door just waiting to see like are you gonna go going to work or not and then he is waiting for Johnny for Johnny Friendly to give the word and then he notices that Johnny Friendly does not have the power anymore it's mm -hmm. more like it's it's more about telling the guy who owns the shipyard we don't answer to this man anymore 
So then it's implied mm. basically saying like they are now either an independent union or they have broke ties with Johnny, with Johnny Friendly, well, which was the objective of it. Well, yeah, that, but then wasn't he about to like, he was about to get arrested anyway. Like, isn't that why they were angry with, with Terry because they spoke out against him and they were like, he was like, oh, any day now they could be coming for me. It's because they were under investigation before they weren't under investigation. Like, like it was, it was. Yeah, he was like, any like slip ups were... now, and we're screwed. Oh, exactly, exactly. There were, there were, there was an eye, a watching eye on them, mm-hmm. with evidence. Yeah, he was just that, kind that of being like paranoid at that point, mm-hmm. right. right? And like ultra, like, what are you doing with guns? If they catch us with guns, that's gonna make us look ir- like disreputable, right? Because they it's do interesting have because. Yeah. Even if it's like they do have that moment where they're like, get rid of the guns, but then they like beat the shit out of Terry, like in front of everybody, as if that's not going to be suspicious. Yeah. (laughs) After he, you know, rats him out. Right. And the truth is that it it didn't stop the mob. Right. Like when the movie came out, the longshoremen, the East Coast longshoremen were still being run by the mob. (laughs) Uh, and this, you know, this movie kind of helped shed some light on it, uh, or bring attention to it anyway, but it's like to say it's, it's got a happy ending is kind of, is kind of false. Um, and if we look at it, you know, like a fiction, it's like, I just wonder, I feel like it might've been more powerful if, if Terry didn't make it into the doors and the workers didn't go to work right like it's a strike yeah. <laughs> you know like they actually I also think it's like but they need the work also right like they all need it yeah yeah i i found the ending kind of it sat strange with me i didn't really feel like it was like despite how powerful the shots are you know that mm-hmm. sh- that final shot of him walking into the building like along the row of people waiting it's a very mm-hmm. well constructed frame like it's a very mm-hmm. like powerful composition it's very dramatic it's very dynamic uh but i i found that like it didn't have the same kind of hit with me as as maybe i wanted it to right because i do feel mm-hmm. like there's there's a lot of powerful moments in this movie um and it just felt kind of strange at the end it felt like rushed yeah. and and just yeah it's kind of odd I can I take a little shift yeah, here. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I wanted to talk about one the relationship between Terry and Edie, but two the symbolism that was kind of created by her glove. Um, that is the scene that the scene where he first talks to her and they like walk down and she like drops her glove and he grabs it. That's the scene that I feel like is always shown to me in all my classes. Mm. Um, because apparently it was an accident. It wasn't blocked. It blocked. I mean, I think maybe in a first it happened take, during it happened rehearsal. Like, uh, the what I read yeah, was that it happened rehearsal. during rehearsal, and Eli Kazan said we're keeping that. Like yeah, because like, it's gonna, perfect. We're gonna add it to the movie. Yeah, because like she, it's more of a reason for her to feel like she needs to stay because she's uncomfortable around him clearly, and he's just like totally. 
He's like, oh yeah, this is my glove. This is my glove now. Ha ha ha. I'm wearing it. Like, he wears totally it and he's clearly like getting it all smudgy and stuff. Like, yeah. And he's just totally just, I don't know. I was kind of annoyed with him, with her for a good portion of the movie. Um, especially when he tries to like get her attention and he kicks her door down to like come in and like, you know, and then he kisses her and she's like, oh, everything's better. And I'm like, oh my God, I hate yeah. this so much. Like, so film much. In but, 50s. American yeah. film in the 50s. <laughs> but to go back to the glove, the glove, the, that scene is just great. And then it comes back when he decides to, um, to go and fess up to her about uh, being a part of her brother's death. Um, but what was interesting, what I wouldn't have expected from a film of this time is that they don't really play that scene out. They don't like, we don't hear the conversation. I mean, we don't really need to because we know what happened, but it's a very, they do a very artistic, like um, not montage, but sequence of like, you hear the train and like pigeons fly, I think. And then she like, like, gasps and we see the gloves in her in her face and it just reminds me of that scene of this like it, it just i don't know it made me it gave me chills also because you you feel so bad for her but the thing is i thought she had a good i thought she was catching on that he knew something about it in general i thought so too and so i was surprised that she was so surprised but also she had like kind of fallen for him at that point how directly involved he is is shocking right you know? right she because like, it's cause one thing did, for him like, to know him. something but like he's literally part of it you know right well but then that guy calls him out and he's like hey you were there with me that night remember on joey's death like he yeah and she almost didn't pick says up on it that? yeah yeah like i mean i don't know she probably just was uncomfortable and was like i need to get out of here like yeah. let me not be walking around bum. with these strange men yeah but she also felt like terry was just fault like following her so i guess it's easy he to does like act like a delinquent yeah <laughs> he does <laughs> very much so um so i just i thought that that whole sequence was really interesting and i do understand why it's used as an example um for it's just such a great small thing that you can do in a scene that gives it so much meaning and brings it back later um the glove thing so i applaud our director our lady director for that so well uh, there is there is there is one thing that they noticed that he kept doing and i don't know why but he keep putting things in her mouth like he keep trying to feel like he keep like try to like every i i don't i don't i didn't i know that <laughs> i wrote I, didn't notice that. That's I, I wrote i wrote the mess i wrote the thing in my notes but it's because for at least three times they're together and then he tries to feed her but he cannot like put things on her mouth without her she's just like eat this and then put things on her mouth i don't know like watch the movie again and you'll because maybe it's in like a couple, of, a couple of things she does okay but it's but it's it, it happens at least three times hmm. Like Maybe it's there, like there is cake or something, and he just goes right away and puts it on her mouth. And I go like, "Why are you doing that?" <laughs> What's that to I don't know. Maybe it, was it, it could be like I this. I feel like this is me reaching, but it could be like you know he's trying to like take care of the pigeons. He's trying to like keep the power. Like, oh yeah, no, I'm like nurturing you. Shh, shh, don't worry about it. Like, um, but 
it's and she's bad. like not taking it because she's also like the only one who's like i smell bullshit and i'm over this like um it could be that um i didn't notice it though but i'm very i'm curious to go back and look now yeah, because the idea i feel like that's like a kind of creepy thing uh that is a little mm-hmm. creepy i think i probably just took it for like business um just like oh okay. <laughs> do you feed your business partners What's like that? like no when i say business i mean like actors business like giving his character oh okay, okay, okay uh sorry um no no, I no I, yeah no i took it like uh like marlon brando is creating business for his character so it's things for him to do this is like when you know you always see brad pitt eating or you know like the way in some samurai shirmafuni is like always scratching himself you know um so yeah. i kind of initially took it like that but i think that there is kind of a metaphor with the pigeons that he also does feed the you know and that like he's sort of treating her like she's one of the pigeons but but that's not that's not her stance right i think there's a nice metaphor right. there whether uh intentional or happy accident I'm not sure but it, it sounds legit yeah i mean and and, and i think that the whole the whole point the whole point with his character is that it's like he's kinder than what he does requires him to be. And then she notices it. She tells the father, it's like he tries to act tough, but he has this look in his eyes. And mm. then, and then you know, like you see him and he's all conflicted. I mean, the whole thing starts because he feels that they cross the line. He goes like, what do you have to kill them? What do you have to kill them? And then now he feels that it's part instrumental in that. And then he goes into this redemption road that starts with the pigeon and ends with the people. But it's, and, and, the interesting aspect about it is that he he has to go against the father figures, which is mm. which is clearly which is which is very similar to what is happening to to us right now. You know, like where you have to go, where you have to look back to your to the father, to your grandfather, to your great grandfather, people who nurtured you, people who care about you, people who, who raised that, you, and right? then and then you have to question the loyalty that you have. Like, am I loyal to you? Or am I loyal to what you represent? And then the moment that I understand uh, what you represent, what do I do? Well, to, because it's to, gonna I cost think me my livelihood. With the, the contender speech that he gives his brother, because it's very much like I went through this before. Like he chose family over his own his own well being, right? Conscience. Like uh he was told to dive in a fight that would have led him to a number one contender title fight which those things make, they make you a lot of money. They bring fame and fortune. Uh, and he gave that up for his brother. And it's like, this time I'm not, I'm not giving up what is righteous, you know, cause it's like, he chose his brother over himself, but it's like, now he's being asked to choose his brother over everyone, like everyone's mm-hmm. well-being. And he's like, you also, had a responsibility to me and like you didn't return that favor like you didn't really take care of me like if you like if you cared i should i shouldn't have to make that choice like right um Mm -hmm. and so i think that that's kind of like him it's that moment where he like because he's made the decision even before we get in that car right he feels pretty set but it's the moment where he reveals to us like that i i had i did learn my lesson from that last thing and it's that you mm-hmm. don't, you don't care ab- about me. You care about you, and like I showed that I cared about you already. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna shift that to the, to the pigeons who are being eaten 
Bayou Hawks. Because he's not, you know, it's like if he were a Hawk himself, he wouldn't have thrown that fight even probably, you know? Right. Like, despite being a boxer, he is kind of a big softy. You know, he's been hit in the head yeah. maybe one too many times. He's a little he's a little on the slow yeah. side. They call him a bum. A lot. They call him a bum a lot. And he is a bum, yeah. right? He admits it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I am a bum because I, he threw it away to to help out his brother to do a favor right can mm. you imagine asking a, a, a sibling to throw away their career so that you could make a little extra money right <laughs> like yeah no that's cold-blooded it's cold-blooded I feel the deeper layers, the deeper layers of these stories when you escalate them, right? Like if you start, because I, I mean, and this resonates a lot with me um, for some reason. I mean, but I, I, I'm not going to go into details of it, but it feels almost like if you take, if you take this from the mob, like he was, he's, if you take this from the mob and you put it like in this, in the highest social, social stratus of like a political arena or a, or a, or a, or a economic arena in a country, right? He's a bomb because he lives in privilege. Because he has something, he's been treated by Johnny Friendly as a kid. He's been made fun for not being bright. That's why he goes like, count the money, and then they're respecting. He goes like, I lost the count, and they go like, oh yeah, you're like, great job, Einstein. Like people make fun of him, but he is kind of like the talking kid that they like. He did, he did them a favor, and now he lives in privilege. So he's a bum, not because he chose to be a bum, but because the life of privilege. Yeah. Uh, like they do take care of him, even him. if they make fun of and him. And then why would you? Why would you? So, so this is interesting because it proposes the question that a person's a person's journey towards righteousness does not have to start on righteousness. It might as well just like his decision took him into a road of, of righteousness, and he had to go against his own family and understand that the people that he loved were doing something wrong. And then this is the things that are difficult about about even the, even today. I mean, going back, but to, they to threaten that to take is... away his privilege, which kind of undermines his redemption a little bit, right? Because he acts when they say you have to stop seeing this girl, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's dangerous for us if you don't stop seeing her. We're going to take away your cushy job. And we're going to send you down right. with the real workers, right? And if you whistleblow on us, we're like not even going to give you that. Like they, so it takes him kind of being threatened to lose all this stuff. To actually cross that line, it's mm. it's what does it what like it proposes it poses the question to me it poses the question of understanding what am I asking for a person when I'm asking them to do the right thing? Right, because most likely if I have to ask you to do the right thing, it's because the right thing is in detriment to yourself. And then a person who finds themselves in a position of saying, am I going to be the only righteous person to change the whole thing? Because if I'm going to go down into the hole and then nobody else is going to follow me, then it is understandable when a lot of people are very resilient to do it. So it's either a, mm -hmm. it's either a, a communal effort or, but not an individual effort because then you end up like the people that every time, like every time that, that they gave that jacket to, to somebody else, that person died. Like, mm -hmm. like Joy died, and then they think that they gave the jacket to 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 Dugan. Dugan dies, and then they gave the jacket to to this kid. So it's like it's passing on that Damn. responsibility of being the righteous person. But that's a really nice alone. metaphor. I missed that one. Yeah, and it's it's like it's very relevant to today. It's very relevant with with everything that. And then from the position that I'm speaking, I understand that there is a lot of like there's a lot of reflex on me saying in it. But it's also saying like, what am I asking of you? 
what am I asking of a person who has a lot of privilege to just like go against their own company, against their own father, against their own family, and then change the perspective? What is it going to cost this person? What am I asking from a person to do? And then that brings it like if it's a group effort, then maybe people feel more encouraged. But I feel that his journey example is an example of that. It's to the point in which it's unbearable to keep doing it. And then you figure out that your peace of mind is more important than the privilege that you have. Yeah. Mm. I, I think one of the things I like most about this movie is that um, his character, Terry's character, does feel complicated, right? Yeah. He does feel, despite how, like, they make fun of him for being dumb and how kind of simple he can come off, he's an incredibly layered character. Uh, and and his, his moral dilemma is an interesting one for all the, the mm. reasons that uh, you were just saying, Jose. Because it's like, you know... It's like, why, you know, why do I have to sacrifice to help these people who, you know, I have been having problems, but like, that's not been my problem, you know? Mm. Uh, and it's like, what does it take to get someone to sort of cross that line? It's a very interesting question, a very human one that we're, right. we're constantly trying to, we're constantly asking that question, like, how can we spread empathy? And it's it's mm -hmm. a seemingly impossible task, right? Because to mm -hmm. gain empathy, you have to gain experience. And that oftentimes means experience that you would naturally seek to avoid. You know, right. it's it's a it's a it's a crazy thing. I think this movie uh, uh, had a little bit more depth uh, than I initially gave it credit for, uh, which is why I love having these discussions. I love talking about these mm -hmm. films. Um, do you guys have any final thoughts? Uh, or maybe we wrap oh. this one up in a, in a more reasonable time? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, over overall, I do... We don't have to talk about them directly, but I felt like I really enjoyed hearing the different slang that people used. Like, I don't know. I, I felt like it was really well thought out. Like, oh, uh, he, at some point he's like, oh, I foxed them. Like, he ran away and escaped. I was like... I don't know. I, I took a lot of enjoyment out of that. Um, so I think it was, it was very well crafted. Yeah, it was very well put together, very well um, thought out in every way. So I do want to give it that credit. Yeah. Yeah, I do think it's well made. Um, yeah, for something that's like, it's it's based on, uh, was it a play first? It feels kind of like a play. Um, does right but it also has a really nice visual element and i feel like makes use of a lot of really interesting techniques like you mentioned the the moment where he reveals to her like it's such a different way of doing that moment than a lot of films do and i always appreciate whenever we see that kind of uh that novelty come up where people are trying new ways of of doing the same thing because it's like you know we we've seen the the evil or the, the confession of evil so mm -hmm. many times that it's like, well, what can you do with that? Uh, you just mm -hmm. kind of like give us a little uh, Kuleshov effect, you know, we'll just like surprise you and we'll throw pigeons in and the trains and like all of our visual motifs and kind of these smash cuts. Uh, so I do think there was a lot of like really kind of nice blocking and cinematography uh, and and clearly a lot of great metaphors going on throughout the whole thing between the pigeons and the jackets and possibly the feeding. Uh, so. he, he himself, like, 
sorry, I like saw a note that I put, but there's a point where he like eats some of the bird feed himself before he goes to go talk to the police. And I was like, oh my God, he's a pigeon. <laughs> okay, sorry. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, th I think it's very direct. I mean, and I think it's complacent too, because like when he, when Edie goes to him and then they're talking, they're talking like they, he places himself inside the cage and she's outside the cage. And that's a very, very strong visual image. And then there is this net in between them. And then he looks at the pigeon. He says, uh, the shot got a maid, huh? The eating, sleeping, flying around like crazy, raising gobs of squabs. Like he's complacent with that. He's, he doesn't want anything else for life, but that complacency to say like, oh, look, I'm taking care of this pigeon. This pigeon should be grateful to me because mm. he's not seeing that he's trapped inside the pigeon cage. And then he, he have become complacent with that. And it's, it's part of the mentality of it. I love, mm. I love how when, after he goes to testify, they have this shot of a butler that brings a phone to a to a to a faceless guy. They never show the face of this guy. He goes like, "If John yes, calls me, I'm not with here." The cat. And it's it always was weird. Yeah, it's like sorry. the guy is that. There's always a guy. There's always a person on top, right? There's always the man. This is the concept of the man. Like these people are not in. They're not independent. There is always a higher force that will just completely abandon them when they need it. And I, I thought that that was clever to show it that way. And then to make this man faceless. Um, I think that was very, very important to connect that point. I feel like there was had to have been some significance to the cat, but I did not get what that was. It's pretty like, well, She's probably like, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because it's just like, it's random. <laughs> anyway, yeah. I was like, why is there a cat here? But okay. <laughs> So yeah, that's that's all that's all I have to say. Sorry. All right. Uh now go ahead and wrap it up. Thank you guys so much for having this conversation with me. This is uh this is a good one. Um I did enjoy this film. Uh I think overall. And I enjoyed the discussion with you. Next we have uh, uh next up will be The Bicycle Thief, uh aka well, Bicycle Thieves. Really uh, depressing. On the translation. Uh, Danielle tells me it's really depressing. I have yet to see it, uh, but I've seen it homaged many a time, and that's one of the reasons that I picked this film because uh, you know the Italian New Wave was so influential, and this is one of the, the seminal films. I think I'm getting that right with the New Wave. Um, Italian neo realism, I think. Yeah, and um, yeah. Uh, what's the other word where it's uh, where it's just like life happening? Um, oh, cinema verite. Yeah, cinema verite yeah. is another one yeah. that uh, uses that in a big way. Um, it just sounds better because yeah, it's, cinema it's verite. French. It sounds nice. <laughs> <laughs> so that's up next. Uh, this is uh, this has been a great conversation, Jose. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you for having me. Danielle, uh, thank you. And where can the people find you? You can find me at Danielle Stories, spelled exactly the way you think, um, on Instagram nice. and Twitter. But I only tweet when I think I'm funny and no one's around to hear it, which is, you know, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> That's Twitter. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't really use that Twitter either. You can find me at John and Paradox. There's no H in any of that. Uh, I've also started an artist Instagram, Art in Paradox. Uh, if you want to follow just my sort of illustration projects that I have going on. Uh, you should. They're fun. Thank you. They're fun. I enjoy them. Yeah. I, I, I always appreciate the 
the encouragement support I get from you two online. Uh, until next time, everyone. Uh, that's been our show, and watch more movies. Preferably good ones. Yes. Bye, everybody. <laughs>